Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Soccer Show, where today we're going to be discussing some of the international news stories that have come at the start of this international break, focusing today on the upcoming European qualifiers and which teams are finding things interesting as we head into what could be a very, very pivotal early week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and I'm joined by the wonderful Omar Garrick of the Athletic. Omar, it's lovely to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, mate. Uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. Um, there's some good games coming up in these March Euro 2024 qualifiers. So, yeah, let's get into it. Absolutely. I mean, look, we can start with a couple of the kind of big name matchups, if you will, and then talk a little bit about a couple of the, the teams who don't necessarily have quite as big fixtures coming up, but have an interesting bit going on as well. But we'll start with France against the Netherlands, which is a huge kickoff game in this group. It's the two favourites to qualify, um, which I say with much regret as an Irishman, but it, it is the two big guns in the group. It's been very interesting just to see how they face this. And we'll start with France because Kylian Mbappe has been handed the armband, a huge moment for him, given he's only 24. And I don't think anyone's going to be looking at it being like, that's weird, considering how much an in international football is based on prestige as opposed to necessarily leadership on the pitch. But there have been reports suggesting that the decision from Deschamps has upset Antoine Griezmann, which is not ideal considering they came so close to winning back-to-back -back World Cups. And we saw at the last Euros that squad unity has been an issue for the past in the past for this France side. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I think that I don't really consider Kylian Mbappe becoming the new France captain a big deal in the sense that he was the main target man he was the main focal point of that squad during the world cup in qatar he scored a hat trick in the final uh he won the golden boot in qatar as well so anybody disputing it i mean i think i just think it's a weird one because i mean people may dispute the fact that because he's 24 he's still quite young you know is that the right age to be giving somebody the national team captaincy Personally, I think not. I mean, he scored over 250 goals at club level for Paris Saint-Germain. He's proven on the world stage that he's got all the capabilities to take over the reins of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and being probably the best player in the world. He, he, I mean, some argue he's probably the best player in the world at the moment. So I don't really have any um, issues about Mbappe being the captain. But in terms of, you know, the reports of Antoine Griezmann, um, I mean, there's been a lot made about his, you know, mentality, his personality in the past as well. So I, I always think you're going to get these sorts of reports around Griezmann. Both of them are, I mean, highly talented players. But if it came down to the question of whether I think Kylian Mbappe 
has the capability to lead France to, you know, whether the, the Euros in 2024 or the next World Cup in 2026. I think absolutely. I mean, no, everybody sees Didier Deschamps's, you know, depth um, with the France squad at the moment. I mean, Wesley Fofana and um, William Saliba were meant to, were originally meant to be in the 26-man squad for these upcoming qualifiers, but they pulled out. Uh, through to, uh, through injury, and he's called up Monaco's Axel Dialza and Nice's John Claire Tadebo, um, which are two excelled, uh, well, two bright young prospects coming through in French football. So it just that example there just shows the amount of quality that France have at their disposal. And I think, you know, with these young talents coming through, looking up to Kylian Mbappe, he will be a role model for them as well. So yeah, I don't really have any issues with that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And also, I think, you know, if you're trying to build something for the long term, you're probably handing him the captaincy for the best part of a decade, right? You yeah. can't imagine that Kylian Mbappe is not going to be in this squad in 10 years' time. I think maybe what Griezmann will probably be feeling is he's 32 now. I imagine he's there like, well, if I've not got it now, I'm not going to be getting it. And he's been named vice captain, which I imagine is a little bit of sort of rubbing salt in the wounds in some ways. I was going to talk about this kind of French defensive unit, which I think is really interesting because you look at the names that have been called up. Pavard, 26. Dezassi, 25. Canate, 23. Kunde, 24. Tadebo, 23. Upamecano, 24. Teo, 25. It's, it's a very... Not young, because it's not overly young. We're going to talk about youth and that kind of refreshing of, of players. And look, we had a lot of French kind of retirements and, and dropouts after the last World Cup. We saw, obviously, that uh, Hugo Lloris, uh, also uh, Raphael Varane, both retired after the last World Cup, missing Pogba at the moment as well. But it feels like a core of French golden generation has just gone, and suddenly there's just another one. And this is the level of talent that they're producing at the moment. And rather than having this full reset, and we'll talk about resets a lot today, it just feels like France are just merging one generation into the other. And you look at this, you know, apart from Olivier Giroud, who's 36 and, and still going strong, the aforementioned Griezmann and Jordan Vera too, this is a side basically all under the age of 30, which is pretty exceptional. Yeah, I, I mean, as you say, I think... The, the team that almost, you know, the the 2018 squad that won the World Cup, that a lot of them have almost disappeared. And the young ones that were part, were young at that period are now obviously, you know, main first team squad members in Didier Deschamps' squad. And as you touched upon, you know, the, the youth that's coming through, I mean, we haven't even touched upon Eduardo Camavinga, sorry, yeah. um, who, I mean, in the Champions League in the second leg against Liverpool was just absolutely insane. Um, and, you know, as you touched upon the centre-backs, they've got an array of depth in there. And then there was also the likes of True Many in there as well. So it almost feels as if their squad is complete and they haven't even reached the heights that, that they're expected to reach yet. I mean, there's all, there's obviously Mbappe, who we've spoken about before, but I just think their squad is so set for the future at the moment that I just think it's going to be really difficult to beat them, especially in the Euro 2024, when this team has a bit more experience behind them. They've had a bit of time to gel together as well. Um, so I do think in the long run, France will be the favourites for a lot of the upcoming tournaments going ahead. And I think it's going to be difficult to beat them no matter... Uh, how big aspirations could be for any other nation that are wanting to lift these trophies, yeah? This is it, isn't it? And and you you kind of, their depth is kind of staggering. And and obviously Deschamps has had his questioners in the past. I think he's proved most of his doubters wrong. And I enjoy talking about these things because 
I think we talk about forward lines a lot when we're talking about football and especially on podcasts because they're the kind of big, sexy things that people were like, yeah, let's get these goals and assists. But this midfield core of Kamavinga, Chiuameni, Yusuf Fafana, who's been absolutely sensational for Monaco. You look at yeah. Kefran Turam, who's exploded into life. He's at, he's at Nice. And you, you kind of look at then the players that haven't been called up on, on top of that. Bubakar Kamara, who was at Aston Villa, been brilliant this season. Pogba. Yes, okay, the wrong side of, of kind of the age gap now. But Matej Ganduzi even, who's refound all sorts of form this year at Marseille. It's scary, not only in that back line, but in the midfield as well. And then you go, you know, we don't even need to go into the likes of Mbappe and Kola Mouani and Diaby and Turam up top. This is a side that feels very complete. And you could kind of put a 27 age limit on them. And it wouldn't feel that weird. It's all players who are applying their trade at the highest level and proving themselves week in, week out. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, people talk about Adrian Rabio as well. And I mean, knowing his mum, he'll probably end up getting in the France 2024 Euro squad. So, yeah, we'll wait and see. If- uh, well, that in the France 2032 squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. Probably 2040, you name it. Um, so, yeah, I think um, in terms of, yeah, the, their defence looks complete. Their midfield looks complete. I mean, as you touch upon their forwards as well. I mean, Marcus Turam, I think he's going to be on a free this summer from Borussia Mönchengladbach, mm-hmm. which just is insane in my opinion because he's this quality player. I know... He, his contract runs out in the summer, but I think he's one player to watch in these qualifiers coming up because he'll be one that's agitating for a move. He's going to be someone that's wanting all the big clubs in Europe to be um, in for his signature. So I think he's one to look out for in these Euros as well. But I think going forward, as we've touched upon France, yeah, they're just, they're just, um, um, I mean, they're just complete, aren't they? And I mean, I think the question now is whether. What who will come after Didier Deschamps in terms of the managerial position? Because yes, he'll probably have one more, you know, tournament, the Euros. Whether he leads them into the World Cup in twenty twenty six, that remains to be seen. There's been a lot of talk about Zinedine Zidane being the favourite as well. Um, I, I mean, the question now is whether it matters what manager they have because they just have such a complete squad that it would almost be catastrophic if they didn't win in the next two big major tournaments I think their squad is that good and anybody who you know manages manages to defy the odds and maybe goes on and wins those tournaments excluding France would uh, get a lot of commendable praise um, because their team at the moment just looks complete to, to the fan itself but yeah it's going to be a difficult one stopping them. Yeah, completely agree. They look set for a long, long time. Let's flip it, though, to the Netherlands, who look less settled. Uh, obviously, Louis van Gaal retired after the World Cup. I think that was his third stint in charge of the Dutch national team. It feels like they just have a list of managers on loop. It's Louis van Gaal, and if it's not Louis van Gaal, it's Dick Advocaat. And if it's not <laughs> Dick Advocaat, is Ronald Koeman, who's back for his second stint, the first time he left for the Barcelona job, obviously. But... What's interesting, I think, is that he's already facing questions on his selections. Brian Brobby's come in for his first caps. So to Sven Botman and Gertrude and Vifa, who are both having an un- unreal year with Feyenoord. There's been a lack of Jeremy Frimpong in the side, despite his form for Bayer Leverkusen. That seems like an oversight. And we discussed the, the things that Kuman said about him. But also a couple of big misses in Nopper, who was brilliant at the Euros, he, he's gone. It, it feels like Koeman has come in with a bit of a shake-up. 
Yeah, and I think with the personality that Lou Van Gaal had, I think he almost had to go down a different pathway to him purely because Van Gaal has always given off this kind of feeling that he's a dictator, anything that goes his way just goes. Um, and I think Koeman needs to change, well, he needed to change that because he's this new, well, I mean, you touched upon it before, this is his second stint, but he needs to almost betray that. He's this new manager coming in. He's going to give fresh chances to different players. I must admit, though, on that Fringpong, on the Fringpong selection, I was surprised because, I mean, he's just been unbelievable in, in the Bundesliga for Bayer Leverkusen. Denzel Dumfries, I haven't really seen much of him this season under Inter Milan. Um, I, I mean, I saw him a bit at the World Cup. Obviously, he scored as well. I think it was the quarterfinals he scored against the USA. So... I mean, I can understand it from that point of view, but this, there's this guy, Frimpong, that's just got loads of assists and I think he's got quite a few goals as well this yeah. season. Um, yeah. and, and it just seems criminal to leave him out. But at the same time, you know, I, I still think there's still a wide depth of talent in, in the Netherlands squad. I mean, Till Molassia for Manchester United this season. Uh, he's, he's almost, uh, at the start of the season, he was playing a lot under Eric Ten Hag, but then he went through a phase because Luke Shaw started to redevelop and rediscover his form again. So he almost was like that. He was almost like the second choice in the second fiddle, but at the same time, he still played a lot of games and in every single game I've seen him play, he's been really good and he's been really strong. He's, he's tenacious. He gets around the pitch quite a lot and he's got that sort of never say die mentality, which is, um, which is what you need sometimes in, in squads. And, you know, I think, the return of Jeannie Rinaldum, he missed the World Cup for a broken leg as well. Adding that experience to what is a relatively still young squad. I know they've got the likes of Virgil van Dijk as well, and they've called up Sillerson, who's 33. Uh, they do have experience, but it's almost like Koeman's got that nice blend in his squad at the moment. And sometimes that's what you need. I mean, we touched upon France earlier. I think the great thing about France is that they've always had that experience in their side to help guide the younger players and the younger generation through, and they lead by example. I think the Netherlands have almost struggled with that. I think that their squad of the World Cup was a little bit muddled and disjointed. They had they had a few young players, but there was a lot of older players as well. Um, and I think you know just having that balance is so key in football because. These younger players need people to look up to, and I think that would be that's key. And and um, you know the likes of Bout Weghorst. I mean, he's been playing every single game for Manchester United as well this season, which is surprising. Um, I mean, there's been games where he's been you know good. There's been games where he's been bad. Um, but you know that sort of personality and experience is what is needed. And I think having that balance is good uh, about Cumin's squad at this moment in time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it made me laugh, the fact that he, he spoke about the fact that Jeremy Frimpong wasn't included and Kevin was asked why. And he said, well, I want my fullbacks to be able to defend. And I feel like it was an oversight that no one went, but you've just put Denzel Dumfries in your side, who basically <laughs> thinks he's a number nine from right wing back. So there's a couple <laughs> of disjointed thinkings, shall we say, rather than that. But it does feel like a side that's got a nice balance to it. And they're going to have to start really, really fast here if they're going to get the better of France, you know, because can you take advantage of a little bit of it being the first game and everyone being a little bit out of action since that World Cup, perhaps. But if the Netherlands are going to win this group, which I imagine they're going to look to do and they will be expected to do back home, even with France in there, they need to start fast. 
Yeah, and I think he'll be, another interesting dynamic to this game is whether Koeman will stick to the three at the back that the Netherlands played at the World Cup under Van Gaal, or whether he'll revert back to a back four, um, which he did in his ta- at, during his time uh, at, when he was the Netherlands manager for the first time round. Um, but when you're playing against France and the threat that they have on their wings... I would be tempted to just stay free at the back, to be honest with you, especially considering this this side played as a back three so recently. I mean, as yeah. recently as December. Um, so that's only four months. I mean, obviously these games, you could say you can try and experiment certain tactics and different tactics, but these are Euro 2024 qualifiers and, you know, France are a really, really good side. Um, so, and I mean, you'd expect the Netherlands to beat Gibraltar. But yeah, well, that's the game to that's the game to experiment, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, I think, I think, yeah, that would be the game to experiment. But the France thing, I, I personally would stick to a back three if I was Cumin, um, because the threat that France have in their wings, the threat that their whole team possesses, I just think they have to go a bit defensive, especially with the game being played at the Stade de France. France will have the home the home support. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Indeed. Indeed. Right. Let's come on to the second of our games, which is Spain against Norway. It's a new start for Spain under Luis de la Fuente. Only 11 of Luis Enrique's World Cup squad have made it, meaning this is a real renewal, although injuries have played a part in that. There are some big names missing from this Spain squad. But there's a couple of 23 or under players I want to talk about here. Pedro Porro coming in, Alejandro Balde, Martin Zubamendi, his first call up, Brian Hill, Gavi, Nico Williams, Jeremy Pino, all 23 or under, this is a really good young Spanish crop. It doesn't feel completely correct in terms of the way that it's built. I still think they're missing an out-and-out number nine for this next generation. Obviously, Borja Iglesias having a brilliant season at Betis, and he'll hold that role down for now. But I think generally, of this next Spanish generation, their next number nine is the one to really come through yet. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they've called up Jocelyn as well, who's 32 years old. I mean... Newcastle and Stoke City fans will remember Jocelyn. Um, so uh, with, with the squad, I mean, you touched upon, you know, all the young players that are coming through. But I also think 
you know, there's quite a bit of experience in there. So, for example, De La Fuente has also recalled Nacho Fernandez, who's 33. He's been performing really well for Real Madrid as well. So it's a bit almost not like the Netherlands, but almost they're still going through that period of they're coming back of you know a new manager. This new manager, De La Fuente, is wanting to try new ideas, and you know we've you've touched upon some surprised. Uh, young players that were coming through as well. Martin Zubimendi, you touched upon. I think he's a really exciting young player. I think it's his first call-up as well. Real Sociedad midfielder, uh, he's looked really good this season. But then there's also the likes of David Garcia, who's earned his first call-up yeah. as well. And nice then Iog- that one. Yeah, and uh, I... <laughs> I, 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 I <laughs> Sorry, Iogo Aspas, who used to play for Liverpool, um, yeah. which is quite surprising, I think. Um, nah, no chance. The best he's been the best player in Spain for about ten years. Uh, he's he's a <laughs> hell of a player. I love Iago Aspas. Um, um, yes, I think Liverpool fans who will only remember him that tenure at, at Liverpool will probably be looking at that and thinking, "How is he still around?" But he's yeah. been amazing for Celta Vigo for like seven straight seasons. He scored ten goals plus, I think, yeah. for the last eight seasons. It's a really nice story that went back to his hometown club in a shadow after he left Liverpool and has come back roaring. So fair play to Iago Aspas. Yeah, I mean, yeah, fair play to him. But uh, yeah, I mean, touching back on, you know, the Spain side again, you know, there's a recall for Kepa Elisa Bagalaga as well. He's been playing well for Chelsea. Um, he last featured, I think it was October 2020 during a nil-nil draw against Portugal. Um, so there's been some interesting changes and, you know, People that haven't been included have been surprising as well, the likes of Marcos Asensio, um, who, you know, was included in the Spain squad for the World Cup. I think that's a big miss. And I think he played, well, he had a goal ruled out for offside in the El Clasico on Sunday. So I think that's a that's a big um that's a big call from De La Frente. And also the likes of Jordi Alba as well, who almost certainly would have been the captain following, you know, the retirement of Sergio Ramos as well. Um, but everybody knew about that in terms of, you know, the, the difficulties of De La Fuente, which led to him retiring as well. So I think it almost feels like a new era for Spain. They went through this almost weird patch um, after 2012 where they had probably the best team, one of the best teams this world has ever seen um, with the likes of Xavi and Iniesta and David Villa. That side was just complete. And they've gone through this period where they've had a top, top manager, but I just don't think they've had the place to almost reach, you know, or go that extra gear. Um, So it'll be interesting to see uh, how De La Fuente, you know, changes the Spain squad. Will Will he change the style? Will he change the tactics? Because Luis Enrique almost embodied that tiki taka philosophy. And it'll be interesting to see whether De La Fuente does that. I mean, he's had experience with the under-23s, the under-21s, the under-19s. He's obviously coached Bill Bow as well. So, But I think he was a defender in his playing career. So it'll be interesting to see if Spain go more defensive than they've previously done. Mm, yeah, I think it's really interesting. And also two Barcelona players, three Real Madrid players in a squad that has 26 people in it is a, is a very, very low number when you think back to you know the glory days of El Clasico and how many they were providing for this Spain squad. It's going to yeah. be very intriguing to see what this new era looks like. I just want to flip to Norway very briefly because I think it's a real shame that Erling Haaland is out for Norway. This feels like a side ready to put it all together. They haven't qualified for a major tournament since Euro 2000. But I think this has to change now because 
Obviously, Erling Haaland, not here this time, but will be back for the next round of qualifiers. Martin Odegaard captains this side, but there's a lot of players shining around Europe who are alongside those two in this setup that I think could prove a bit of a shock here. And I think that this game has upset alert written all over it. A new Spanish side, even without even without Erling Haaland, Julian Ryerson's at Dortmund, Marcus Pedersen's at Feyenoord, Leo Ostergaard's at Napoli, Christian Torsvets at Sassuolo, Frederick Ausnes has been a revelation at Benfica, Ola Solbakken's at Roma, Morton Torsby's at Union Berlin, and the man who will replace Haaland, Alexander Serlot, yeah. has had a bit of a rough patch in the last two months or so, but has had a good season generally for Real Sociedad leading the line. They're all clubs or players doing well this season. It's a strong squad and a tough test for Spain with a lot of changes made to that Spanish side. I, I, I fancy an upset. No, I agree with you. I think, you know, obviously Haaland is going to be a massive miss. And I think you've got to think about the mentality aspects in the sense that what would Spain be thinking knowing that Haaland's out? Do they think it absolutely weakens Norway completely? I mean, the simple answer is probably yes. Um, but at the same time, they've got quality. I mean, Martin Odegaard, to be captain of both his national team and Arsenal at the age of 24, I think I think it almost goes unnoticed a little bit because, I, I mean, we touched upon, you know, the captaincy of Mbappe and whether, you know, age is just a number. And we, we, we said that, you know, I, I, 24, I think it doesn't matter how old you are. If you've got the mentality and you've got the capabilities to be a captain and lead your country, then go on and do it. I think Odegaard has showed that. I mean, you touched upon Thorsby as well. I've been a big fan of his. Um, I'm not sure if Sander Berger is in the, is in the squad, but he's, he's somebody that I've, I, I've liked and adored. Um, he is, he is in the squad. Yeah. He is in the squad. He's somebody that, you know, I'm, shocked that no Premier League club or no clubs internationally have gone for him. I, I mean, he's been coming through. Uh, he obviously came back from a, a really difficult injury uh, and he's and he's recently come back for Sheffield United who are pushing for promotion in the championship. And since he's been playing, I mean, he's been preparing brilliantly. Um, I, I know he was linked with a move to Fulham as well in the January yes, transfer yeah. window. So I think he's somebody to look out for as well. But in terms of Sorloth, I think this is a perfect opportunity for him to almost stake a claim in Haaland's absence because, you know, Haaland, you just know that he's going to be on the starting eleven if Norway play. But I think Sorloff, not that he has anything to prove, but it's almost he needs to show that Norway have depth in, at their disposal because, if, I mean, as you say, eventually they need to start qualifying for these big international tournaments and squads who compete in international tournaments need strength and depth. I think Sorloff needs to prove that Norway have strengthened that. Yeah. And also, you know, it's a side that can play two up front. We've seen that at yeah, times yeah, exactly. this year. Um, and he's got Jurgen Strand Larsen, who's coming through yeah. quite nicely at Celta Vigo, breathing down his neck as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he performs. Uh, right onwards to England, Italy, which is a replay of the Euro 2020 final, which Kings kicks things off for these two in qualifying. Then England have Ukraine, Italy have Malta. That's a really tough start for England in terms of qualifying for these Euros. Call-ups for Ivan Tony and James Madison, perhaps the most interesting thing from this Southgate selection, but it feels like a very settled unit for England. And, and Southgate seems very happy with his lot. This is not a side having the churn of some of the ones we've spoken about. There are notable omissions, probably most most notably the seriatrio of Tammy Abraham, Chris Smalling and Fakaya Tamori. Uh, Abraham and Tamori in particular, I think Smalling is probably a long shot this one, as well as he is playing in Serie A. 
And he kind of flipped that to Italy, but they've got a few new names in here. 23-year-old Alessandro Buongiomo is, is uncapped, as is Tigre, Tigre's Matteo Rotegi. And then there's a host of youngsters, Simone Pafundi, who's 17 and playing at Udinese. Wilfred Nyonto, who leads fans and have been raving about all season, just 19. Giorgio Scalvini, Atalanta, the same. And then there's 22-year-old keeper Marco Kenesecki, who's but he's of that Atalanta with Scalvini, but he's been on loan at Cremonese and played quite a lot this year. So feels like Italy are much more in term ready to to hand out some some youth caps here. And also, I think obviously part of that is that the Malta game is easier than a Ukraine game for England. But part of it, I think, is just Mancini getting them in and around the squad. And we've seen this before from him. He likes to have youngsters in and around, getting used to the environment. It's something that Southgate is not particularly fond of. He prefers the smaller squad. And it's two contrasting approaches, neither necessarily better than the other, just contrasting approaches. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, you know, the different styles of approach between both Southgate and Mancini in the sense that Southgate seems to go with players he trusts, he he could, you know, has faith in, you know, the likes of Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson. These players are still in the squad and they were still and they were in there in that Euro twenty twenty final. Whereas Italy, they've I mean, you've touched upon the names there. I mean, Matteo Rategi is somebody that is meant to be, you know, this up and coming young player. He's got a dual citizenship with um, both Argentina and Italy, yeah. but um, he's been in hot form for Tiga. I think he's scored about 25 goals in 34 um, Argentinian top five matches since the start of last season, um, which is interesting. And, you know, they've got such a nice balance, I think. I mean, he's also recalled Matteo Darmian, um, who was obviously the famous Manchester United right back. He's playing at Inter Milan now. But I just think, you know, if I was Tamori or you know, someone of that ilk looking at that England squad, I'd be thinking, how am I not getting in here? Because Harry Maguire has been on the bench most of the time this season. He hasn't been able to get a run of games in. I mean, he's got two world champions ahead of him, as Gareth Southgate alluded to in his recent press conference, which isn't ideal. Um, But then there's also the likes of Mark Gay, who's also come through. Um, who's, you know, I, I personally think he's a really good talent. And then there's obviously the likes of Bukayo Saka, who's been playing well. But these players, you know, well, Bukayo Saka in general, he, you know, was at the World Cup. He performed at the World Cup. But if I was an England I mean, obviously I am an England fan, and I was thinking with my England cap on, I, I would just love to see some new players being given an opportunity. Um, I know Harry Kane will most likely start these games, um, but I would love to see Ivan Tony get an opportunity because I think he's been unbelievable this season. Um, he's been in great hot form. If it wasn't for, you know, certain incidents or certain events that have happened to him throughout the course of the season, then I think he would be, you know, one of the hot properties on the transfer market going into the summer. I just think that there's almost like a Didier Drogba ilk to Ivan Tony, in my opinion, that just this hold-up play, the way he links uh, players in the squad. He, he almost drops deep sometimes, a bit like a Harry Kane of that ilk. Um, so I would love to see him play as well. I just think knowing Southgate, he's just going to go with what he's used to. But I think the difference with Mancini is that, I mean, you can see it in his squad, he's experimental a little bit more. And there's going to come a point with this England side where these young players, these older players with the likes of Maguire and Henderson and co, they're going to have to be disbanded and new players are going to have to come through. And they almost have to set an example. Whereas Italy, I think that's a Mancini is taking the right approach and help them nurture through all of these young players at this certain period of time for these qualifiers, give them the experience of competing at the highest level. 
Um, and I think that's the that's the right approach to go through. So it'll be interesting to see how this game develops. Personally, I think Italy might do England um, just because of home advantage as well. I've just got that sneaky feeling. Um, but it's going to be an interesting game. And, you know, they're two big qualifiers for both sides. Yeah, I think what's interesting with, with Southgate's selections is that he's... He's one of those managers, and again, this isn't necessarily a criticism or praise. It's just a fact. He trusts the player who he has the shirt until they make a mistake and they lose it. And you know, it doesn't. It hasn't mattered if Jordan Pickford's been in bad form for Everton. He hasn't, you know, of late. But but generally across his tenure as England manager, it's his shirt because he's never made a mistake for Southgate's England. It's similar with Stones and Maguire and Walker and the players that he, he seems to trust in all of these positions. Yes, players can come in, the likes of Jude Bellingham, to kind of grab a shirt for themselves. And they, but they can nail that down only once they've been given that opportunity. Yeah. And Southgate has, has stuck to the players who have served in faith. And look, he's been the most successful England manager since Alf Ramsey, right? Getting to a final and the semi-final. It, it, it's been impressive in in many ways what he's done. But equally, it does feel like at some point this is going to have to turn. Harry Maguire will be 32 at the next, well, or the next European Championships. Are these still the players in which he's setting his stock? And just how it develops on that front, I think it, it is going to be intriguing for England over the next couple of months. Just two more quick ones I wanted to fly through. One was Belgium, who plays Sweden. They have Dominico Tedesco as their new coach. And he's had some big retirements to deal with. Eden Hazard, Toby Alderweireld, Simon Mignolet, all been around for donkey's years and the end of that golden generation. He's also axed. Torgan Hazard, Dries Mertens, Michi Batshuayi, Axel Witzel, they all went to the World Cup. And the interesting players that he's brought in, obviously there are still some of the old guard and still very much Kevin De Bruyne's and Romelu Lukaku's leading this side. De Bruyne's now the captain after Hazard's departure and retirement. But Romeo Lavia's come in, Johan Bakayoko's come in, and it feels like there's a new young core that Belgium is starting to build here. Yeah, I think, you know, those experienced plays that you touch upon, the likes of Hazard and stuff, they've obviously served their their country well um, in terms of, you know, getting to the last stages of, you know, a tournament at, at 2018. But there was almost a sense of they underachieved because here is this golden generation that boasted the likes of, you know, Hazard, Courtois, Lukaku, um, Kevin De Bruyne. They, they were just... You know, you looked at them and thinking, oh my God, they're going to be the team to beat. I mean, I think they were ranked number one in the world for, in were, the FIFA yeah. rankings for, I mean, a long, long time. Um, and the depth that they had, I mean, especially at that time when Jan Vertonghen was also there and Toby Alderweireld as their centre-back pairing, you just thought that they were going to, you know, win something. But And the fact that they didn't was just, you know, it, it was... It was just, it was, it was just not really. It was just a bit disheartening, almost, um, in a sense, because you, you just thought that they were going to win something, and you know, as you said, with these young players coming through, you know, the likes of Lavia at Southampton, who's really impressed me actually. Um, and I think with Lavia, the the experience of going through, you know, a relegation fight would actually do him well at international level, to be honest, because when you're in a when you're in a relegation battle things are low things are down things are things are moody and you almost need those leaders and characters but the thing with southampton is they've got such a young squad at the moment i think they've got the youngest squad in the premier league actually um the, the thing with being part of a young squad in a relegation battle is that you learn from these experiences and then you can take these experiences and 
into the latter stages of your career or take them into your career as your as your professional playing career develops and the fact that he's had this call up now and he's in a relegation fight at the moment I just think those sorts of things just make you a better player and at an international level where I personally think there's more space uh, playing and dictating play in the midfield as well um and um the yeah the experience he's got at playing that in a fast-paced league will just benefit him. And I think, yeah, as you say, it's really interesting that uh, Tedesco has gone down this route of bringing, you know, uh, a younger generation through because there was going to come a point when this older generation were going to, you know, go quietly off into the sunset. But, you know, they, um, yeah, they've just, they've underachieved. And I think now this younger generation that are coming through, they'll want those aspirations um, to kind of almost achieve glory with Belgium, something that, the so-called golden generation didn't do. Um, so I also, th- I, I do think it's a positive that um, Tedesco has gone down this route and I think it'll be interesting to see how it progresses. Yeah, it's very funny. Belgium released their squad with a cap list. So you, you look at the squad and it's obviously got 24 players in it. Of them, Courtois has 100 caps, Vertonghen has 145, De Bruyne has 97, Lukaku has 104. Carrasco has around 62, and I think Thomas Mernier is about the same area. And then after that, it's like one, three, one, eight. <laughs> it's, it's very much, oh, most of the old guard are gone, but there's a couple here left to kind of help guide you through. But we've got a host of talented young defenders, Sebi Bornau at Wolfsburg, Artur Tiat at Rennes. Zeno de Bass is, is going to be one of those players highly in demand this season at Anderlecht. And He's now partnered there by Vertonghen, which is probably great for him in terms of easing him into this setup. You look at the midfield and, you know, Amadou Anana has been excellent, I think, at Everton. Yeah. Oral Mangala has been excellent at Nottingham Forest. Even if these clubs are in relegation battles, as you say, with the likes of Southampton and, and Romeo Lavia, you're looking at them and going, OK, that's cool. You've had good seasons, even in a season where it's been difficult for your clubs. And then Leandro Trossard, who's flying at Arsenal after that move, from Brighton and even the likes of Dodi Lukabakio, who's who's been sort of here or there in his Bundesliga career. Lois Appender, who's been brilliant for long. He, he scored two in six, I believe, for Belgium. There feels like there's a new kind of opening coming in here. And there's a lot of players around that sort of 21, 23, 24 age who are looking like they might fill that gap. And, and I think it's an exciting time to be a Belgian yeah. fan. Yeah, I also think, you know, we've gone back to it and we've spoken in this podcast about, you know, the mixture of uh, experience and youth. And it feels like, I mean, as you've read those players out, that they've absolutely got that to a T. Um, and I just think it's so important in international football because there will come times when, um, you know, a certain generation almost gets too old to play and compete at the high intensity level that major tournaments uh, require. Um, so I think embedding them at this moment in time when there's a qualifying stage um, is ideal because you can nurture them, you can develop those players um, and get them ready for, you know, the major international tournaments. And I mean, Euro 2024 is about two years away or 18 months away. So there's still time. And I think there's going to be, you know, loads of different rounds of international fixtures will be played up until then. So to integrate them now into the, almost the first stages of qualifying, 
I think is a smart move from a lot of these managers and Tedesco fits that. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be interesting to see how Belgium perform uh, in these March Euro 2024 qualifiers. Yeah, I mean, his predecessor, Roberto Martinez, just as a kind of final point, has, has gone to Portugal and yeah. they didn't have many retirements after no. the end of the last Euro or the last World Cup. And I think a lot of people were expecting them. I think there were question marks over whether Cristiano Ronaldo would retire. There were question marks, especially over whether Pepper would retire. Um, you know, 40 years old now, will be 42 in the next tournament. Now he's playing brilliantly for Porto. Obviously, Ronaldo's our Al Nasser. It does feel like this is a squad where obviously there are a few new faces in it. The likes of Gonzalo Anathio from Sporting and, and Diego Leite from Union. But mostly this is a, a side that's been very settled. And actually, Portugal feel like they went through their rebuild or at least starting their rebuild, not necessarily getting rid of the old guard, but bringing the new in before the World Cup. And it means that when you look at the side that they've selected here, that Martinez has selected, it feels settled. And yet you look at the ages and you're going, hmm, there's a lot of talent here as well. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think, you know, not picking a younger team was almost almost hampered with Berto Martinez when he was in Belgium as well. I mean, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's 38, Pepe, he's about 39 as well. So uh, so they've got these experienced players and it, it's, it does feel like that that team hasn't really changed that much from what we saw at the World Cup. Um, you know, they've still got the likes of, um, you know, Jao Felix, who we saw. Rafael Leao is somebody who I hold in high admiration. I think he's going to be a top, top player. I, th- I still think we haven't seen the best of him. Um, Mateus Nunez as well for Wolves. He's been really good this year. Diego Jota is obviously returning. Gonzalo Ramos has been playing well for Benfica this year as well. So, but these are plays that we all kind of knew from the World Cup. There's nobody that really almost grabs your attention almost and says, oh, wow. I mean, the, people will talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, but, you know, as we've seen, I mean, he, he he's done okay at Al Nasser, but he hasn't really, I don't think he's hit the heights that a lot of people thought that he was going to hit there. People thought he was going to stat pad, I think. Um, as soon as he got his move to the Saudi League, people, I think, thought he was going to score a goal a game. He was going to... He's going to get them flying. But I think they've dropped down to second in the the Saudi league at the moment. Um, Mm. So I just think, I mean, that he also did that Instagram post after the World Cup saying he's going to think about his future. And I think everybody did expect him to kind of hang up his boots because realistically, there wasn't really that much for him to play for at an international level. Um, So... It's going to, I just think there needs to be a bit of change in that Portugal squad in order for them to be successful going forward. And whether Martinez does that now or in the near future remains to be seen. What I do know is that that was something that did hamper him during his time as Belgium manager. So whether he's learned from that, we'll have to see. But yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think, personally, I think they need to get rid of the old guard before they move forward. Um, And I think that's the way Portugal will progress. I think they'll be all right in this international break, though. They have Liechtenstein and then Luxembourg uh, as their opening two qualifiers. Uh, I'd put a fair bit of money on uh, Portugal coming through those two absolutely unscathed. Um, But that is all from us here on the Athletic Soccer Show. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much to Omar Garrick for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, mate. I've uh, really enjoyed it. It's my first podcast on the Athletic, so I hope to be on many more going forward. 
Absolutely. Well, I think that's a wonderful debut. We've talked about people making their international debuts. Uh, I would say that that's right up there with anything we're going to see in this international break. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Athletic Soccer Show. Thank you so much for listening as ever. And we will see you very shortly. Take it easy.